Welcome to the Global Franchise Podcast, intimate conversations with some of the most exciting decision makers in the world of franchising to help you and your business adapt to unprecedented change in our industry. I'm Kieran McLoon, Deputy Editor for Global Franchise Magazine. For more than 20 years, Dan Rowe has helmed the franchise development organization Fransmart as its CEO and has played a part in growing iconic brands like Five Guys from its American roots across the pond to Europe and beyond. Today, Fransmart's portfolio covers more than 35 countries and with the group's assistance, its multiple brands have opened upward of 5,000 new locations. It's safe to say that Dan certainly knows a thing or two about international franchise development. With that in mind, we wanted to speak with Dan about how his franchise partners have navigated COVID-19 and also what lessons he's learned from a lifetime in the industry. Hiya, Dan. How are you doing today? Hi. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. Um, Could you begin uh, just for us by kind of providing some background on how you first got into franchising um, and I suppose subsequently what's led you to remain within this industry for um, over two decades by this point? Sure. I started off as a franchisee. So in my my mid-20s, I knew that um, I liked this business and uh, I bought a franchise of an emerging small little bagel bakery chain. And I was not only one of their franchisees, but we launched franchising for this concept and helped grow them from, you know, they had six stores in Washington, D.C. We opened up Denver, Colorado. And so we were successful clear across the country. And not only, you know, then we helped grow the company at about 200 locations and uh, and had a successful exit. And so at a you know, at a young age, I realized that I really like emerging early stage restaurant concepts and have just stuck with it. feel like we get better every year. But, uh, you know, I, we're, we're, uh, we're constantly looking for new emerging brands that, that we think that we can grow into big chains. Right. Okay. And across, um, across your career leading Fransmart, what would you say are some of the, the driving factors you've seen behind success, sustainable and successful growth with the brands that you operate? Well, it really comes down to to the numbers is that these restaurants, because they're early stage emerging brands, um, they have to be unusually profitable or they have to have really good unit economics better than, you know, better than normal, because mostly we're growing with experienced, successful franchisees of other brands that are looking for non-competitive brands to grow and to get them to stop building what they're building and to build ours, our numbers need to be a lot better, which is really the opportunity with early stage emerging brands. So with, you mentioned five guys early on, you know, it took five guys 10 years to get four locations. And then, you know, 10 years later, they were at a thousand locations. And a lot of that was the first several franchisees were building conversions. They were doing low cost uh, build outs, you know, che- cheaper than normal build out and the concept was a hot brand. And so they had really, really good sales on on over top low investment and it made for a quick, uh, quick ROI. Franchisees got their money back quick and reinvested the free profit into more stores, getting sort of a compounded effect on their returns. And it was just way better than they were getting with other brands. I grew a company called Qdoba before that. And it was the same, same thing. We basically targeted Applebee's franchisees or, you know, big, big franchisees of other brands. And it it all came down to the numbers. There was just way more opportunity and these relatively inexpensive things to build that had very fast ROI. And I just feel like if, if, um, you know, concept aside, 
franchisees are originally attracted to a concept. And, um, you know, I liken it to sort of the shiny toy in their toy box at that point. But if the numbers don't work and if the numbers don't keep their attention and if a franchisee doesn't want to keep reinvesting free profit into more stores, then then it then it dies out. So, you know, a long, a long way to say it really does depend on the numbers. And then there's there's other things. I mean, you've got to have franchisees that execute at a high level. You've got to have high performing restaurants. But a franchisee won't focus as much on operations or taking care of customers unless they're profitable, unless they have a kind of a financial reason to want to stay plugged in and executing at a high level. Sure, yeah. And um, when it comes to the numbers, I saw that franchise, uh, France Mart's portfolio rather um, currently has over, is it a thousand new locations in development? Um, and I was just wondering kind of what your day-to-day as CEO of this giant network looks like. Well, my, my, my day-to-day in the last few months during COVID has changed, but largely my, my role in the company is, um, is looking for more new brands and then architecting their rollout plan. So we're always looking for the next big thing early. And I spend a lot of my time looking for brands and then helping them lay out their plans to get to, you know, thousand plus locations. Yeah. And uh, what do what do you currently look for when you're looking for a new brand? So I'm I'm looking for concepts that I believe can get to 500 or a thousand locations. It can't just be a fad. It's got to be something that is a legitimate next segment or sub segment. And so like in five guys, they didn't invent burgers, but they were on the front end of this better burger or fresh burger. And we just knew based on all the other players, like, you know, I can go across the 50 or 60 biggest markets in North America. We already know how many restaurants you can put into each well-versed with, with London, with Germany, with the Middle East, parts of Asia. And so we, we look for concepts that, that we're really confident can get to a thousand units. We're looking for concepts with great unit economics. And I mean, that, that also, you know, when a restaurant has great unit economics, startup cost and sales, customers vote with their wallets. And so, you know, if a, if a concept has high sales, you know, customers like it. And that, that helps. We look for concepts that have real soul or their own DNA. So like with the halal guys, we're growing a Muslim brand right now. And this concept isn't just because somebody else saw a busy uh, Middle Eastern concept, they went and created it. This is the real thing. And so we, we don't want me to, we don't want copycat brands. We want authentic, real DNA, real soul and, you know, and the unit economics and the ability to grow. We, we look a lot of times at the current management's ability to run a company that big, but that's, that's not as important because oftentimes, you know, a company will expand and hire the right people. So if they don't have the right people, we just want to make an assessment up front. Do we think that they're going to hire the right people? And we've had a couple of cases, a couple of scenarios in our life where, where that didn't happen. You had a concept that had an unbelievable opportunity but the existing owner's bandwidth was only so much. And the more that we tried to tell them that they needed to bring in qualified outsiders, the more they would dig in and sort of fight you on that. So, you know, one, one thing that we have, too, is either, either they've already got to have the team or we have to be convinced that at the right time they're going to bring in the right people. Um, capital. We have plenty of capital. So, you know, for, for a brand, if they don't have the money, we're willing to invest the money. But one assessment that we make is if they don't have the money yet, they don't want outside partners, 
mean, how are they going to get, you know, these growing company needs capital. And if they're not willing to take in new capital, at some point that's going to have an effect on our ability to grow it. So we have the sort of this whole list of it's the attributes of the ideal brand for us. But a lot of it starts with the end in mind, which is can we grow these things to a thousand units and then a whole bunch of things that sort of impact that decision. Right. OK, so it's a very selective, measured process, um, which is really great. Um, if we could talk about the the elephant in the room a little bit, I suppose, uh, coronavirus, while it's kind of, you know, it's been ongoing for quite some time now, um, we're very much not you know out of the woods just yet. Um, I was just curious to hear about how Fransmart's brands have kind of fared throughout the entire COVID-19 pandemic um, and also what, you know, the current state of play is and also looking ahead, I suppose, um, what you believe, you know, where where the brands will go next that you're working with? Yeah, I I feel like, gosh, if if you thought last year was a good time to invest in the franchise business, or if you thought, you know, a year or two ago was a good time to get into franchising, right now is an unbelievable time. It's way better to get into franchising today than it was a couple of years ago. And, you know, it might sound harsh, but the truth is, You've got 8 billion people on the planet. Everybody wakes up hungry every day. And you're about to lose a third to maybe even half of all the restaurants that are out there. And as sad as that is, and it is sad, I'm not trying to be, not, I'm not trying to be harsh, but as sad as that is, you're about to have an enormous supply and demand imbalance shift back to the operators. And so where operators, you ask most restaurateurs the last couple of years, the things that they struggled with, they would tell you, we're struggling finding great locations. We're struggling being able to afford great locations. There's too many restaurants. Like every, there's too many other players out there, and it's hard to find employees. All of those things are switching back in the favor of the people that are that are still growing. And so, if you've got a concept that is adapting to what customers want, and what customers want is food brought to them when they want it, they still want to go to restaurants. They still want to go out. But they also, there's more of an appetite than ever for off-premise, doing off-premise sales. So like an organized carryout, organized delivery and, and, and um, uh, catering. And so if you're in that business, you're thriving. I know Five Guys franchisees, a friend of mine, their sales, he says, my sales are up 127% over last year. We have Halal Guys franchisees that are having all-time high sales weeks and different markets around the country, out, out in California, down in Texas, you've got some of the highest volume stores in the chain that actually have same store sales increases right now, because in their given one mile or three mile trading area, you've got a third to a half of the people that are just not functioning right now. And so, you know, I think it's a good opportunity to do conversions. I mean, that that's really what led to, in the beginning, what, what drove Five Guys uh, franchise sales crazy was, you had franchisees that were opening for a couple hundred thousand dollars, doing a million and a half, two million dollars in sales and getting all their money back in a year. And when you're making that kind of money, you want to keep reinvesting your free cash into more units that make money like that. And right now, for the next two, three years, it's going to be a buyer's market. You've got landlords on their ass right now with unbelievable amounts of vacancies and landlords are trying to make deals, make it attractive for a, for a tenant to want to come into their property. But between conversions and a very humble landlord base, um, I think it's a great time uh, to be in the business. And so we keep selling franchises right now. Like we actually have a record number of leads of people that want to buy franchises right now. 
And the majority of them are already in the restaurant business. So, you know, we've seen a slowdown of new people, like people that have never been in this business. We've seen a slowdown on those applicants, but an increase of applicants that are coming from people that have been in this business for the last 10 years because they're tired of it being a landlord's market and they're tired of it being a tough market. And they see right now as the ultimate buy low, sell high moment. Yeah, so a lot of good silver linings then from the um, from the franchising perspective of things. Um, from the consumer side of things, do you think that there's any uh, shifts or different sort of pivot methods that um, brands have taken at the minute? You know, you mentioned things like delivery and contact free options are obviously a um, a big priority at the minute. Do you think that some of these um, changes to the food and beverage industry mean you know they're going to sustain in the sense that 2021's F and B landscape is going to look completely different to what the current or let's say what 2019s did oh a hundred percent i think you know take my parents that are in their early 70s that never used to order stuff online now do it all the time and i think you know i think uh i think it's become pervasive it's just the way of the future that that customers are going to use brands this way i mean i've 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 you know i look at what I look at what Amazon's done for me and shopping or what Uber's done for me and, you know, wanting things that are on demand and it's restaurants have to move that way. And the ones that are moving that way are the ones that are thriving. Like you see these pizza guys with numbers up like crazy, like these pizza players that numbers are same store sales are up like crazy. And it's like, they're, they're, they've mastered. It's like all the restaurant, all the rest of the restaurant needs industry needs to do is watch the pizza industry. Like they're giving customers exactly what they want, when they want it, how they want it, and they're thriving. And those restaurants, I just saw something, um, Cheesecake uh, posted something um, the other day, cheesecake sales are up because they made a huge pivot to this off-premise, which, a, 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 you know, that chain a year ago, Cheesecake might've had single digit off-premise sales. And now it's 30 or 40% of sales. And I think, you know, I think that's just the way of the future. I think that's the way it's going to go from now on. And it's better for customers. I mean, customers have more options and they have more control of their experience. And frankly, if there's places that don't want to play along, they have plenty of other options. And so the brands, if you want to make money, you better figure that out. And um, sort of, I suppose, maybe perhaps more in a, a pre-COVID world, are there any brands that you've either worked with or just um, observed that have surprised you with their rapid growth? You know, you said that you generally, Smart, you look for partners um, that can grow 500 to 1,000 companies. Are there brands that maybe didn't quite have that expectation and yet managed to explode with popularity regardless? I'm looking, there's a couple of concepts here in the States. Uh, well, I mean, you're in London, so what's the lion leon leon's quite big yeah leon like i i saw that first one i saw years ago and now i mean i'm just blown away with how fast they've grown there's concepts here called sweet green for example sweet green or kava just these healthy approaches to fast food and fast casual that are not only exploding in growth but like let's take let's even take um sweet green so sweet green is a salad concept everybody sells salads the whole world sells salads they figured out how to do it in a different way and i think there's a hundred hundred twenty locations in their last round of capital was at a billion and a half dollar valuation and so i mean not only are they growing but when you think about how much value that is on placed on these restaurants that are in line these are in line you don't even own the property and so yeah i think i think for a concept that figures it out 
they're getting an unbelievable amount of attraction. And the only way that anyone values a company like that, that large is because they believe it's going to be thousands of units. It's going to be the next Chipotle, the next big unicorn. Yeah. And although um, I suppose you can't really necessarily say that, you know, a brand just because it will go the healthy eating route is, um, is destined to be the next big thing that's by the sounds of it, some of the names you've just mentioned there, do you think that healthy eating and I suppose a variety of, um, of dietary options so you've got you know veganisms and vegetarian uh, vegetarian food do you think that those kind of trends are going to be even bigger as the next decade carries on within fmb i do i do i think i think um in the past if you ate healthy food it meant it didn't taste good yeah and nowadays health means different things health means you know where it was uh, sourced is it you know organic uh but it, it really comes down to taste. And I think those people that figure out how to let people eat uh, healthy breakfast, lunch, and dinner, um, and the food tastes good, so you actually crave it, you want the food, I think are going are gonna to have a very easy way. That, that, that is a big trend I see turning into um, an opportunity for several people to create you know, multi-thousand unit chains. But Five Guys is a good example too. I mean, they're not particularly a healthy concept. That's an, an indulgent burger brand. And those guys are expanding everywhere. I mean, they're expanding everywhere in the planet. They just announced New Zealand and Australia last week. I was out right before COVID. I was in Italy and I saw, you know, these Five Guys that have been open already over a year with lines out the door. I mean, out the door still. So, I think that, you know, I think the funny thing is a lot of times people say that there's too many restaurants out there. There's not a lot of restaurants that people really go crazy for. I think that there are a lot of mediocre restaurants, but not a lot of restaurants that people go crazy for. Yeah. And um, mentioning Five Guys there, am I right in thinking that you were Five Guys' first franchisee? We So Fransmart launched their franchise program. Right. We were, we were the ones that talked them into franchising. And then I put together a limited partnership that was one of the first franchisees. So yeah, the first, the first couple franchisees, my wife's best friend was a franchise. Uh, a guy that was at my wedding was a, is a franchise. He's multi and he's got over a dozen locations now. And we, in our group was a franchise. And in our case it was, yeah, we were early franchisees and it worked perfectly. We were building the very first store we opened up was a, was a McDonald's. It was an inline McDonald's that was in a strip center. It was a good location. And that the owner of five guys has signed the lease for it. We, uh, he, and he, he transferred it to us to be the franchise. We opened that store for gosh, maybe $150,000, including the franchise fee, the training fee and everything. And I remember that store generating all of its money back the first year. And, you know, and then the second location that we opened was a kebab shop that, uh, that, didn't work out. It was a great location, great location, but it was a, a kebab shop where the owner just did a midnight ran and left. And the landlord let us take the space over. And, you know, I remember in both cases, us telling the contractors like, gosh, don't move, don't move the hoods. Don't move the bathrooms. Don't even move a light socket. We'll figure out how to adapt the restaurant to the space. But it allowed us early on, the first couple restaurants generated all their money back quick. And then we just reinvested the free cash into more, uh, into more locations until eventually we had six locations and then five guys bought us out sort of getting like a double bite at that apple. We had a profitable multi-unit franchise and then there was, there was the liquidity event of five guys buying them back. It was fantastic. And it was really, I mean, in a perfect world, that's how they should all go. 
Yeah. So you got quite a um, a deep family connection to the Five Guys brand. Um, sort of, if we could talk a little more about brand development. Um, when it comes to Five Guys, you know, how does it um, how does it differ developing a brand such as Five Guys into another country or another region um, like Europe compared to? I know some of France Mart's current brands like Pie Pizzeria and Cook's Tortas have more of a domestic development plan. How do those two kind of you know um, trajectories differ? Well, you know, it's funny because uh, I, I also worked with a company called Vapiano that is from Italy and it's all over the world. And everybody's so full of opinions about how you have to change a brand for the local uh, markets, how you have to do this, how you have to do that. And I remember Vapiano was killing it in these new markets the same way Five Guys. I went to was in London in December and I looked at the five guys, it's exactly the same concept it is it, as it is in America, exactly the same concept as it was in Italy. And, you know, I just don't believe that that a brand has to completely change itself as it enters into a new market. You definitely need to be aware of local uh, customs and local interests. If it's not really that likely that you're going to that that your brand's going to work the way it is, you shouldn't even be thinking about that market. But um you know, where I see a lot of concepts that alter and change their brand is either if one, if it doesn't work or two, the concept's been there a long time and you need to change and evolve to be uh, fresh and relevant with customers. But, you know, like in Five Guys case, I think people want that. I think people want exactly the taste that they had when they come to America or they want a sense of something that's, you know, it's this company that comes from uh, America. So like in a London or in, 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 in Italy, I think people want that flavor and they don't want it. They don't want it watered down or they don't want it changed. And so, you know, I noticed that with Halal Guys too. The only change that, that we've made with Halal Guys is we offer different sizes, right? Because like we went into certain Asian markets and not there, there's there's just a, a pop group of that population that just doesn't eat that much food. And they, and they think it's, it's strange to pay for that much. So we wound up instead of having the two sizes, we have three sizes. So we have you know, sort of a smaller thing, but it's the same concept. It's the same concept, same food, same flavor. And it really allows us to appeal to a bigger market without adding a bunch of new things or without trying a bunch of new things. So just kind of ways for us to become even more profitable as we, as we um, appeal to more people. Yeah, no, that's really interesting because often it does seem like going into another country, you know, adaptation is the, is the key, um, factor that brands should prioritize but i suppose as you say if they've got a strong enough offering it's not really a necessity it's almost um just making more work for yourself where it's not necessary um the the last thing i want to speak with you about dan is just looking ahead i suppose um when restaurants and businesses begin opening or reopening rather at a, a large scale um what do you think is kind of the essential thing to both bring back customers who maybe are a bit apprehensive about going out to um, a dine-in experience, but also, um, you know, retaining them long-term in this entirely new economy we'll find ourselves in. Well, I, you know, I think right now you customers have to feel smart and they have to feel safe using your brand. They have to, they have to feel, you know, they're making decisions for themselves, for their families they have to feel like they're safe and that they're going to be okay using your brand. So at all costs, make them feel safe and comfortable using your brand. And, um, and I think that you just have to execute in a way that customers want it, right? So if you, 
you know, if you're if you're learning about off premise, become a master at off premise. And, you know, if you're not sure, like I we have restaurants in our neighborhood and that are open. And, you know, we have I live on this street called King King Street. And there's, you know, 20 percent of the restaurants are on weights all the time, while the other 80 percent look like they're not even half full. And so pe- people are willing, even in this environment, to stand and wait to go to certain places versus going to other places. And it's because they just don't feel they don't feel safe. They don't feel smart. They just don't want to go to those. And customers have options right now. So, yeah, I, I think that's the thing is, you know, um, think about a mom taking her family, you know, to, uh, out, out to lunch or out to dinner. It's like, you know, they're they're processing what what could potentially go wrong and how do I know it's not going to go wrong here? You know, and but we're, I mean, we, we still go out, we go to fast food, we go to full service restaurants and we're constantly navigating around that. We're sort of aware. And, and I think, I think that's the, that's the key is people just have to feel safe. Yeah, no, I think that's, um, that's a sentiment really across all industries, isn't it? I know fitness, some of the brands we've spoken to have similar issues and just everyone in general, that is the, the, the biggest um, step we're moving forward. Um, well, thank you very much for your time today, Dan. It's been really great speaking with you just about, you know, global development. And um, it's nice to hear, I suppose, a lot of positivity um, amidst what has been quite a, a stressful period for a lot of industries. So, yeah, thanks very much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Even though the past few months have been full of challenges for the franchising community, um, it was great to hear how enthusiastic Dan was about now being the optimal time to get into the game. A combination of a lack of competition and ideal retail spaces uh, opening up means that a lot of positive growth could come out of this very difficult time. The criteria FranSmart uses for choosing new brands to partner with will no doubt be useful for emerging concepts looking for exponential growth. Um, 500 to 1,000 new locations might sound like a lot, but it's more that a franchise has the potential for growth rather than an immediate boom in popularity. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Have you experienced any surprising positives as a result of this year's challenges? And how do you believe the franchise industry will evolve with time? Make sure to let us know. If you like the podcast, subscribe and recommend it to your friends and colleagues. Or even better, leave a review or a simple rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your pods. To keep up to date with franchise news and have it put into context by the global franchise experts, subscribe to the magazine, hit us up at globalfranchisemagazine.com and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn today.